when we talk about endocrine disrupting chemicals, it might seem like a big, like, what are they like? I, okay. Endocrine, I know they're hormonal, they disrupt, but how, right. The ones I love to focus on are those that disrupt estrogen and testosterone. And, you know, let's talk about estrogen. There are chemicals, uh, particularly a lot of in our personal care products and plastics, um, perfume products and some foods that actually can act like estrogen. So what that means is there's a lot of different ways that they can act like estrogen and affect the estrogen receptor. But the most common one, I think the easiest one to describe is that many of them actually mimic estrogen. They actually look enough like estrogen and that they can lock, unlock the little key to the door of the estrogen receptor on cells. So they can fit into that same lock and key and turn on the cell, stimulating the cell like estrogen would. So what that means is that you may not be producing the estrogen in your body from your ovaries, or your adrenals, but your body's seeing extra estrogen from chemicals that is actually doing the same effect on the cells as the O natural estrogen in your body. So what that means is your body's actually getting a signal that you have more estrogen on board than you really are making in your, in your body from a lot of these endocrine disrupting chemicals that we talk about in, in toxins. So, you know, they essentially do that same, that same pathway and, you know, give you the same effects. And the, the most common ones I see in women are, you can have menstrual irregularities such as heavier, more painful bleeding, a very common and more frequent periods as something I see a lot, uh, weight gain again, another one I see a lot. A third one I see all the time is mood issues. Um, you know, when they become much more irritable. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, geriatric physical therapist, weight loss coach, and passionate disease prevention expert. I used to struggle with emotional eating, sugar cravings, and consistency. Then I learned how to lose the mental and physical weight once and for all with a low insulin lifestyle. Each week on the Reshape Your Health podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you do the same. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and today we have Dr. Renee Wellenstein with us. She's a double board certified doctor. She's been working with women for over 20 years now, and because of her own personal health story, which you're going to learn about in a minute, she stepped out of conventional medicine and into functional medicine. She's becoming an expert in adrenal dysfunction and low libido. And that is what we're talking about today. Dr. Renee, thank you for joining us. I'm really excited for this conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Yeah. So we did some planning beforehand just to give the audience a heads up. We, we kind of talked about how, you know, low libido or adrenal dysfunction is kind of two sides of the coin. Just like I talk about weight loss, there's a science side to low libido for sure. Some hormonal things. And then there's a mindset side and that we're going to cover both of those today. We're going to start with those hormones and the sciencey side. And then towards the end of the interview, we're going to touch on mindset because just like in weight loss, I can give you all the strategies, but if you're still kind of trying to build on a, on a faulty foundation, on a faulty mindset foundation, they're not going to be effective. But before we get there, tell us your story, because you have a really interesting journey into this functional medicine space. 
I do. I never expected to be here. And, um, you know, it was 2012 is when my story began, but we'll go back a little bit before that, because I was a very busy, but happy OBGYN. I had boy girl twins in 2007. And at that time I was living in a suburb of New York city and it was great in my younger years. But after I had kids, I decided, gosh, this is just not the life I want. It was very super busy. Wasn't utilizing all the resources in the city. So we decided to move to the country. And of course, what do you do when you move to the country? And I am a daughter of a former dairy farmer who had wanted a horse when she was seven. I finally got my, my dream horse at the age of 39. And, uh, it's much more affordable to have a horse in the country versus, um, New York city. And, and you know, the timeline is all blurry, but I did fall off that horse shortly after getting him during a lesson. And that is really where my story begins because that fall resulted in a broken back and a broken back, which was inoperable. So I was Humpty Dumpty that fell off the wall that couldn't be put back together again. And it was interesting because I had never, ever, even up to that time, wanted back surgery. I'd always seen such horror stories in the medical world of, of women getting back surgeries and always having forever more back pain. But the interesting thing is when they gave me a prognosis of recovery at six weeks, and I still was having extreme pain and maintained on narcotics and a walker and all the things at six weeks out, I was like, fix me now, like do something. Right. So that's kind of when I switched back to my conventional world mind of like, just fix me, get me back to work. I had all that shame and guilt of not working. I was popping pills left and right. You know, I'm a, I don't do well with strong painkillers and I was on a lot of different medications to counteract the side effects. So I, you know, was popping probably 10 pills a day just to maintain my pain and the nausea and the constipation and all the things that go along with it. And, uh, I finally did get back to work, uh, at about six months out, I did have a procedure, um, that got me off of the strong pain medication. So I could return to work, but my scope of practice was limited. I could no longer deliver or operate due to the injury. So, you know, I went on for the next year, year and a half, and it was very interesting with the, the, the symptoms that I started discovering I had, and I think I had them all the time. It's just me really sitting quietly with myself and starting to, to think about these different things that were going on. And, you know, prior to this year and a half out, I was going through all the stages of grief, you know, and in, in retrospect, now I knew, I know now know that I was angry. I was resentful, all of the things because everyone else was living their normal life. And here I am having to reinvent mine. I was waking up every morning really without a sense of purpose because I was no longer delivering those babies and operating. And not only that, I had started to develop a lot of physical symptoms such as inability to get out of bed in the morning, really dragging throughout the day, all day, as far as energy goes, Uh, I was living on a pot of coffee a day, energy drinks, grabbing those salty chips because they really tasted even better than they did in the past. (laughs) And, and a lot of times I I turned to different, um, more convenient foods, which usually came in a package and could be popped open and eaten in in one sitting because I was exhausted. And every time I opened the, the fridge, I would see the salad mix in there, but I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Just let me grab something quick that I could go eat back on the couch and lay back down again. And it's really interesting because I started to, you know, really start beating myself up as far as being unmotivated. I felt like a deadbeat mom, because at this point, my kids were like five, six, seven years of age, felt like an awful wife. I was gaining weight, like just 
you know, for women, a lot of times our weight equates our self-esteem and confidence. And that's exactly how it felt for me. Like I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. So one night I said to my husband, I can't go on living like this. And that's when I knew I needed some sort of help. I needed to do something because when I'm contemplating no longer living, I know it's I'm rock bottom, Mm -hmm. but in the conventional world, the only thing I could think it could be was depression. And so I was analyzing forever more up to my doctor's appointment. Like this doesn't feel like depression. And I even went into her that day and said, I know what you're going to (laughs) say. You're going to say I have depression. She's like, well, you know, your, your world was rocked with this injury. Like you're totally turned upside down careers, not as it used to be. And, and I said, I get it, but I just don't feel like this is what depression should feel like but I didn't know what else it could be. So I danced down the depression rabbit hole, got put on an antidepressant and rather quickly on the medication, I realized it did not help my symptoms. Actually my symptoms continued. And then I had all the side effects. So I was a good patient. I gave it to three months before my follow-up and I went back in. I said, this is not working. And of course what happens in the conventional world. And I can say this, cause I, I used to do this myself is when one medication doesn't work, you never think of, gosh, do I have the wrong diagnosis? You think, medication must not be the right medication for you. So I was put on a second medication, same exact thing happened. And shortly after, after that time, and and I maintained myself on it for a short period of time, just to give it a chance. I, I said, there's, there's something else going on. Coincidentally at this time, I actually was put in contact with a anti-aging doctor. And I was like, gosh, I don't know what this anti-aging doctor is, but let me chat with her. And it was actually for something completely unrelated to my health. However, we did get on the phone one evening, like nine o'clock at night, I have my computer on my lap and I hop on the phone with her and she quickly, you know, the, the topic we got on the phone for, she's like, I don't need that, but let's talk about you and what's going on with you. Cause I understand you had an injury. So in describing my symptoms, she said, gosh, it doesn't sound like depression. It sounds like this condition that we call adrenal fatigue. And this was mind you, you know, nine years ago or seven years ago, actually, And that was a term that we used frequently to describe a condition, which we'll talk about in the near future, um, where the adrenal glands just were not producing that stress hormone called cortisol as effectively as it had in the past. And it's interesting because here I am good old doctor with her computer on her lap, Googling as she's speaking. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is me. This is me. And two things happened. One, this wave of relief came over me because this woman in this one conversation actually was going to help me. And she gave me my hope back that I could actually have my life back. But number two, like here I am a doc at this point with over 15 years of education and experience behind me. I didn't even know about this. I'm like, how is this possible? And how many other women are out there experiencing this? And I thought they had depression too. Mm -hmm. Right on the heels of that. She said, well, I'm looking to open an office about an hour from where you live. Would you like to join me in practice? And I'm like, what do you do? <laughs> I had no idea. So I, I didn't, you know, what's anti-aging? Well, she was a functional medicine doctor. So of course I hurry up and Google it. And this is the, I guess, third aha moment of that evening of like, oh my gosh, you know, that sense of purpose that I, that did not have for those two years was restored in that one conversation, because this is how I was going to help women moving forward. This is my purpose in life again, to actually help women like me that were incorrectly diagnosed. And again, I I don't want to bash my doctor because she didn't know any differently. I didn't know any differently, but there's a lot of docs out there that don't know outside of what we're taught in conventional medical school, 
So they don't have those tools to help women with these symptoms that I had. And how many women are feeling like me at night? Gosh, I can't go on living. And how many God, I don't even want to think of who's successful at carrying that out. But like just that feeling of hopeless and helplessness, like I'm not, I'm never going to feel good again. And so right then that was my purpose in life, you know, help these women that don't feel heard that aren't getting the answers that are chasing their tail or perhaps want to find other ways of, of getting healthy. So that catapulted me into the uh, functional medicine world. Very interesting. So you mentioned it a little bit, you said adrenal fatigue, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's where we should start is, is it adrenal fatigue? Is it adrenal dysfunction? Are they one and the same and kind of give us that bird's eye overview of what that condition is that you had that you didn't Mm -hmm. know that you had. Yeah. Well, you know, adrenal fatigue, I it's, you're not going to find that in the medical books, you know, as a matter of fact, in the conventional world, it's very much poo pooed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it describes a condition beautifully and I'll, I'll get to describing it in a second. It's now I kind of break it down, not for your community, cause they're much more into the science, but as adrenal dysfunction. And a lot, you know, many times we call it hypothalamic pituitary adrenal dysfunction. Me, what that means is there is a dysfunction in, um, essentially the output of the adrenal glands and the adrenal glands are these little powerhouses they are tiny. They're like little pyramids on top of the kidneys. We have two of them and they're tiny, but they are mighty and they are powerhouses and they control our electrolytes, you know, essentially the, the sodium and potassium balance in our body and maintain our blood pressure and all that. But they also secrete the stress hormones And they also have a component of, you know, female hormones, male hormones, all of that. But like what we're talking about in this context is that production of the stress hormone, namely cortisol. So cortisol is a hormone that essentially when you wake up in the morning without that alarm clock, your eyes just go bing awake because the light is the sun's coming up. That is your cortisol spiking in the morning. And that's our natural alarm clock to wake up and get going for the day. And essentially what happens from there is cortisol in textbook style should gradually come down throughout the day. So it should be highest in the morning, which gets us up and out of bed, gets us, gives us a go for the day. And throughout the day, we start, you know, coming down and to the point where in the evening, when the sun goes down and the moon comes up, it's a signal to our body that time for bed cortisol is at its lowest. And it's kind of on a seesaw with melatonin. So as cortisol comes down in the evening, melatonin, which is our sleep hormone rises, and that gives our body a signal that it's time to go to, go to sleep. The issue arises from chronic stress. Now I don't want to say stress is bad. Actually, stress is really good for us. You know, hormetic stress is like stresses of intermittent fasting and, or prolonged fasting. And that's all good stressors on our body, but it's acute, meaning it's short term these longer term stressors, or even say, for instance, you're giving a talk in front of a a crowd of people, or you're taking a test. Those are all healthiest stressors. Our body does well with those. The issue arises when we have these 24 seven stressors, you know, it used to be just work and finances and kids, right? You have all that you have now a global pandemic, but let's also think of like women, you know, we wake up ourselves, wake up like all the things that we have to do and already beating ourselves up when we step on that scale first thing in the morning. And, oh my gosh, my pants aren't fitting right. Oh my gosh, what am I doing? And like, we, this is a series of our thoughts throughout the day that we're actually beating ourselves up on top of all of the other stressors we have, including the kids virtually schooling during the pandemic and, you know, 
trying to keep it all together and, you know, finances over this 20 plus month global pandemic and all of the things that I actually, I mentioned that because I've seen a huge, this has always been an issue, but it's been a huge issue over the past year and a half. And our little adrenal glands start getting fatigued, um, to the point where they can't keep up with that cortisol production anymore. And it, that rhythm that we, that we used to see where it's high in the morning and gradually falls and is low in the evening becomes dysfunctional. And it, it's not necessarily high in the morning. And that was the case with me when I actually had my testing done. Uh, and I, and what we did was a salivary cortisol. So I basically spit in a tube four times a day and they check my cortisol throughout the day, which is the preferred way of testing your cortisol. I found that I was low in the morning. And, you know, when I saw that result, I was like, oh my gosh, this isn't in my head. Like this is for real. Like that, that get up and go hormone is not getting up and going. (laughs) It is low. And, you know, for me personally, it was all those years as you know, not sleeping as an OBGYN, not eating well, then I birthed twins. And if I wasn't delivering somebody else's, maybe I was taking care of my babies and, you know, I was thriving, I think. And I, and I always say my, my dream life, cause at that point I was just living on adrenaline, I think quite frankly. And it's when I fell off that horse, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it was at that event that just put me over the edge because I may have been able to continue to go on that way for a while longer. Um, but just literally going from 150 miles an hour to on the couch with a walker, with a shower chair, with a brace, all the things made me really made my body say, you know, threw my body into shock essentially and said, oh my gosh, you know, all those years. And now we have a new stressor, which is this chronic pain and this injury. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I looked at my cortisol, it was exactly how I felt, you know, it was low all throughout the day. And interestingly enough, uh, it was starting to rise in the evening, so I would actually get a second wind at 10 o'clock if I didn't go to bed. And that's, that's a stage of this adrenal dysfunction that we commonly see. And it's actually the most common stage I used to see in my patients, whereby they couldn't get out of bed in the morning. They lived on the coffee all day and just stimulants to get you through the day. They're eating those salty foods because, um, again, you know, the adrenal glands actually help with our electrolyte balance. So we number one, have a craving for the salt, but number two, they're a food of convenience. And when we're exhausted, we're grabbing the cookies the, the, the salty foods, the things that are quick and make us feel good because we don't feel good. And then, you know, in the evening, many times, if you don't go to bed by 10 PM, you can actually get a second wind and stay up till midnight, one o'clock, which is really not good for healing your body from adrenal conditions. No, no. And I wanted to talk as well about the pregnenolone steel, mm-hmm. which we may have touched on in this podcast before, but I'd like you to go in a little bit more detail and talk about what that is and why weight gain, especially around the midsection is so common with this adrenal dysfunction condition or adrenal fatigue. Yeah. You know, it's, um, so it's multifactorial when it comes to the weight gain, you know, the cortisol in and itself will, will do that for you or to you. Um, it's our stress hormone, right? Like when you are stressed and your body's under stress, your the last thing your body wants to do is lose fat because it thinks you're dying. And I always like doing, bring it down. Like your body doesn't know the difference between, um, gosh, I hate my job and I feel trapped in my job, which by the way, feeling trapped is one of the first worst stressors you can have. Or, uh, I don't know what to have in my coffee in the morning. Like it's all stressing you out, right? <laughs> like your body doesn't know the difference or my legs got, got cut off, you know, like all to your body, the same. 
what your body is seeing. Oh my God, she's going to die. Right. Oh my gosh. We got to keep as much fat on her body because if she goes through this stage where she's not able to get nutrition, cause she can't walk. Cause you got to cut leg cut off. Or I mean, again, that's extreme, but your body is just trying to keep you safe. It's a survival mechanism. So a lot of times we will, um, store fat. Number one, there's actually more, uh, cortisol receptors on the adipose fat tissue in the midsection. So mm-hmm. when you have a cortisol issue, you know, you're stimulating those receptors, which they're little chemical messengers into your cells. You have more around the midsection. So there's that. And when we get to the pregnant, alone steel, and I love to talk about this because as an OBGYN, uh, I was actually forced to memorize this pathway and all of the enzymes. And it did not make sense to me back then. It was just a way of passing my board exams and and moving on and and practicing. I love the pathway now because it makes so much sense. And when we talk about this pathway, it all starts with cholesterol. So a lot of people out there think cholesterol is bad. No, no, no. We need cholesterol. We need cholesterol to make our hormones. Mm -hmm. I would always worry in the past when I'd see men with really low cholesterol, I'm like, no wonder you have a low testosterone. You can't even make it because your cholesterol is so low. So it starts with cholesterol and then goes down to this hormone called pregnenolone. Now pregnenolone can branch off into different hormones. And essentially what happens with that pregnenolone steel is when we are trying to churn out a ton of cortisol, which is our stress hormone our body prioritizes making the cortisol from the pregnenolone. What it does is it robs all the other hormones that pregnenolone can make, including estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And that's another great one I love, which is DHEA, which is an immediate precursor to testosterone. Those are all robbed of their precursor just to feed the cortisol. Okay. And again, it's a survival mechanism. Your body's like, uh, we don't need to make those female and male hormones right now. We got to survive. So we need to make this cortisol to keep our, keep dealing with this stressor. And, and then of course that comes all with the, you know, effects of weight gain because lower testosterone, you lose lean body mass. You know, again, a common thing I hear with men with low testosterone and women, as we age is that loss of lean muscle mass and, and accumulation of adipose, adipose tissue, particularly in the abdominal section. So, and then of course, um, the female hormone imbalance that can result. And again, you know, if for some reason you are out of balance with your estrogen and progesterone an estrogen dominance pitch will definitely give you more weight gain in that middle as well. So it is multifactorial, how this can affect the stress and adrenal dysfunction can affect weight gain, especially in the middle and weight gain period on a hormonal level, male, female, as well as cortisol. Right. That's, I think that that was such an interesting pathway. And if you want to Google the, how would, how would they see it visually? If they wanted to see the, um, the pregnant, I call it pregnenolone. You kind of pronounce it a little bit differently. Pregnenolone is that I say pregnenolone. Yeah. Pregnenolone, pregnenolone. Yep. You could uh, probably say, uh, gosh, I don't even remember how I used to Google it. Like hormone pathway or cholesterol hormone pathway, maybe something okay. like that. You're probably going to find multiple little graphs coming up. And it's so funny. Cause on all these talks I used to give, I wanted to bring that up. And my assistant's always like, that's too sciencey. People get lost in all the, but it's really cool because you can it's actually cool. pull up as you're, you're or re-listen to this interview, 
pull it up and look to see what I'm talking about. And it makes sense that like when you're shunting everything to a particular area of this pathway, just to make the stress hormone, you're robbing your body of all those other hormones. So that are really critical for, you know, overall function, um, you know, healthy female male function and weight loss and, you know, preventing weight gain and, and just feeling amazing. Yeah. And I'm taking a look at my notes here and we had kind of three different areas that we wanted to touch on mm-hmm. regarding what can cause or what contributes to this adrenal fatigue. And that was the first one. The first one was really stress kind of taxing the adrenal glands to produce more cortisol. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see less estrogen, testosterone, all those sex hormones. And then you also wanted to talk about endocrine disruptors and how yep. that can kind of contribute to some estrogen dominance. And so let's go down that rabbit hole next on endocrine disruptors. First of all, tell us what they are Mm -hmm. and how they can um, cause estrogen dominance and what the symptoms would be there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I I just want to add too that this can be another uh, reason why a woman's libido might be low. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the stress definitely and, and all the hormonal impacts with that. Uh, as well as the weight gain, which affects women. And as well as these endocrine disrupting chemicals, um, you know, interacting with mostly the female hormones. So these are, when we talk about endocrine disrupting chemicals, it might seem like a big, like, what are they like? I, okay. Endocrine, I know they're hormonal, they disrupt, but how, right. The ones I love to focus on are those that disrupt estrogen and testosterone. And, you know, let's talk about estrogen. There are chemicals, uh, particularly a lot of in our personal care products and plastics, um, perfume products and some foods that actually can act like estrogen. So what that means is there's a lot of different ways that they can act like estrogen and affect the estrogen receptor. But the most common one, I think the easiest one to describe is that many of them actually mimic estrogen. They actually look enough like estrogen and that they can lock, unlock the little key to the door of the estrogen receptor on cells. So they can fit into that same lock and key and turn on the cell, stimulating the cell like estrogen would. So what that means is that you may not be producing the estrogen in your body from your ovaries, or your adrenals, but your body's seeing extra estrogen from chemicals that is actually doing the same effect on the cells as the O natural estrogen in your body. So what that means is your body's actually getting a signal that you have more estrogen on board than you really are making in your, in your body from a lot of these endocrine disrupting chemicals that we talk about in, in toxins. So, you know, they essentially do that same, that same pathway and, you know, give you the same effects. And the the most common ones I see in women are, you can have menstrual irregularities such as heavier, more painful bleeding a very common and more frequent periods as something I see a lot, uh, weight gain again, another one I see a lot. A third one I see all the time is mood issues. Um, you know, women become much more irritable and I always like to say, like, let's not demonize estrogen too much, right? Like estrogen is what makes us beautiful women. It gives us our plump skin and lips and like, you know, like it makes us look younger. However, too much of it can make, you know, it's like, like, you know, little red, red or whatever the, you know, too much is not a good thing. I forgot the analogy from my childhood days, but like, and, you know, we also want to balance it with progesterone. So like, if you might actually have a great estrogen progesterone balance normally in your cycle, 
But when you take on these other chemicals that are in the, these plastics and personal care products and foods that actually tip you over the edge, when it comes to estrogen, now you're out of balance mm-hmm. and progesterone. We never talk about progesterone enough, but it's our hormone. That's very cyclical also throughout the month, but it's the, of, of the two hormones, it's the more calming hormone. It's the, it's the chill hormone versus estrogen, which is a little more of our like edge kind of hormone, like keeps us on our, like, you know, again, too much, but can make us yeah. a little bit of a moody moody. Yeah. And that's why we, we really like love to call them progesterone for that balance of like, okay, not too much moody, just enough, like to, you know, know that. that yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're cycling, but like not too much that you want to take your partner's head off. So, you know, one of the uh, biggest thing I hear from women are the menstrual problems, such as the heavier bleeding, the weight gain and the moodiness. And so would that be an example too, of women who get their hormones checked and maybe their doctors say your hormone levels look fine, Mm -hmm. but they could still have symptoms of estrogen dominance. If they have a lifestyle that exposes them regularly to the personal care and other toxins that mimic estrogen. So they could still have symptoms of estrogen dominance, even if they're not technically experiencing estrogen dominance. Exactly. Exactly. And this is where I see so many frustrated women out there that say my doctor, number one, a lot of times your doc won't check your hormone levels as an OBGYN. I would have women come in and ask me this. And again, this is before I knew about functional medicine. And I was always, um, humble enough to know to say, like, I don't know how to check hormone levels aside from determining whether you're ovulating. Yeah. Those are usually women trying to get pregnant or you're menopausal. Those honestly were the only two times that I was trained to check hormone levels, everything else I was trained that are just, you don't need them. Like you don't need to check your estrogen throughout the cycle. You don't need, you don't need, you know? So your doctor, number one, may not want to, may not know how to, mm-hmm. you know, in their defense, they, they may not want to, because they don't see the utility in checking it. But even if they check it, they're like, okay, let's cross that off that that's normal. But now you're like, oh my gosh, but I don't feel like it's normal here's another thing for you to think about, like, where are these endocrine disrupting chemicals sneaking into your lifestyle that you can easily remove and, uh, hopefully start normalizing your estrogens. Yeah. Can you just maybe spit off a few of the top chemicals or endocrine disruptors that you focus on with your clients to remove from their lifestyle? Yeah. Uh, two big ones, uh, perf- anything perfumed, okay. uh, which we, you know, you'll find if you, it, it, and this was an issue for me, um, parabens are usually, you know, um, a component of fragrance products. And I was actually sensitive to parabens a couple of years ago, right around Christmas time. So I guess it was three, two, three years ago. And I was trying to shop for a lotion for myself. And I went into the store and every, t- every single lotion I looked at had fragrance, perfume, proprietary fragrance, like, you know, and I'm going over and saying, does this contain parabens? Or like, well, I don't know. Right. So the, the, the problem there is a lot of these, you know, fragrances, perfumes are actually endocrine disrupt, disrupting chemicals. I think there's like over 300 different ways oh, that wow. they can say that, okay. but like they all disrupt your, your hormones. So like what's best is to, and you know, they sneak into lotions, shampoos, perfume, you know, we think of regular perfumes, but think of how many lotions are scented body washes, shampoos, conditioners, we're, we're all into the fragrance, right? Like, and yeah, I, I love good fragrance myself, but was it doing to my body when I put it on it? Because our skin is our largest organ of our body. Like there's so many areas of absorption to get into our, our body and disrupt our hormones. And, you know, that's number one, but number two, think of how many chemicals a woman puts on her body a day, you know, mm-hmm. shampoo, conditioner, mousse, 
how many hair products, you know, hairspray, um, then our makeup and our skincare products all smell like, Oh, this smells so lemony. And this smells so great. If it's fragrance with an essential oil, but mm-hmm. if it's, if it's this code word, perfume fragrance, what not good, you know, um, try to get it fragrance free if possible. Or like I said, use essential oils. And, you know, again, with makeup, even there's a lot of, um, very complex words that are in makeup, but a lot of makeup products are also endocrine disrupting. And, you know, if you look at any, say your foundation, how many actual ingredients are in your foundation, there's probably like 30 mm-hmm. and women tend to put on, you know, I think the average is like, I don't know. I think it's more like three, 500 chemicals a day, because each of those products have 30 different ingredients times how many different products between our hair, our makeup, our lotion, our shaving cream, our, you know, you name it, right. Our foot scrub, <laughs> you know, like we, we go on and on. So there's that. And then, um, number two plastics. Okay. Plastics are huge. Um, so this can be as simple as trying to swap out your, um, we can all like go into the grocery store and all the, the plastics in there, but like the easiest is your storage containers at home. Um, a lot of us buy the cheaper, you know, Ziploc storage containers that are plastic. The problem is, and it, even if it says BPA free, it does not mean it, it's chemical free. Mm-hmm. Those other BPS, BPF, they're not, they have not been proven to be any safer than this BPA. Um, and it's really dangerous when you put hot substances in these product in these plastics, mm-hmm. because what happens then is the heat leaches the chemicals from the plastic. And then you either eat, eat it or you drink it. So mm-hmm. another, you know, hot water bottles in the summer, like how many of us used to, I used oh, to, sure. like, yeah. I hate hot water, but I leave it in there. I'm like, oh, I'm so desperate and thirsty. I drink it it's laden with the chemicals in the, in the bottle. Same with like Starbucks t- coffee cups, like the top plastic, like take the top off, you know, Ooh, don't drink. Yeah, that's a good don't, yeah. So like in, in, you know, I can understand a lot of your listeners are like, oh my gosh, that's so expensive to like throw them all out and, and get glass while you're trying to trade out, you know, little by little, just make sure that your food is cooled. Cause I have a couple in my house. I'm not going to lie. I have a couple, mm-hmm. but I'm adamant about like cooling the food before I put it in the storage container. So it's really it sits on the stove forever uh, or transfer it to a, a, another bowl to cool down. And then I transfer it. And then you definitely don't microwave or heat in these or put them in the dishwasher. So, you know, my husband's pretty conditioned now, like the very little plastic we have in this house, no dishwasher, no, you know, no putting it, anything in the microwave. Um, I think my, my kids are pretty conditioned even to the point today where we had some of these like, um, plastic spoons and she brought my daughter brought soup to school. And I'm like, no plastic spoon. That's going to leach. <laughs> She's like, okay, mom, give me a, r- a real spoon. So, um, I mean, this is how ingrained it is in my life. I'm like, I just always think like where, and you know, if you have kids too, like we can start really young with these kids of like, you know, it's normal for my kids to not eat certain foods on the, you know, normally, cause they don't want them now. Cause they weren't raised on eating, you know, drinking the sodas and such, but like such things as glass, like they'll, they'll get stainless steel or glass water bottles or, you know, so they're really aware. So hopefully as they get older, um, they'll continue that awareness through their adult years. But what we do has a huge impact on the hormones of our kids as well. So, so that's an easy thing, you know, the, just being more aware of the plastics, you know, we can, again, we can go into the plastics of the wrapping on your, you know, and that's a whole nother topic of like, um, deli meats and such, but 
Yeah. Start at home, start with the storage containers and your water bottles, you know, get a reusable water bottle, mostly for the environment too. Right. Like a yeah. stainless steel, you know, I have one sitting here right now, like either glass or a stainless steel, keeps your yeah. water nice and cold. And, um, you're not going to get any chemicals leached from yeah. it. I think it's okay too, for people listening, just to go in phases, you know, like we recently changed out our Tupperware, but it took a long time. Yeah. It took a couple of years. You know, it is an investment for sure to, where I'm not just going to throw away all my shampoo. I'm going to use no, it. And then the next time I need shampoo, I'm going to change it out, you know? Yeah. So we don't have to kind of have any sort of faster extreme mindsets about any of this. I just think it's good yeah. to know and good to learn. So the next time you need to buy something, you can make a better choice. Um, yeah. The last thing that we wanted to talk about related to low libido and kind of some of the science behind what could cause it would be food and gut health. Mm -hmm. So can you give some top tips on ways that people can optimize their nutrition and gut health mm -hmm. to improve their libido? And then we'll pivot towards the end of the conversation to talk about mindset. Absolutely. You know, what a lot of people don't realize is that your gut is integral to your hormonal balance, especially estrogen. And what is so fascinating about gut health is that it's ever evolving. And we're finding out that these little powerful bugs in your gut, these things, you know, bacteria and fungi and all viruses, like all the things like they have a integral part of our health and keeping us healthy. And one of the really interesting things is that there's actually an enzyme in, in some of the gut bacteria, there's different strains of the gut bacteria, and they all have different you know, ways of like breaking down carbohydrates and that's all the fun nutrition side. But when it comes to hormonal, there's a hormone, um, called beta glucuronidase that actually breaks down estrogen. And so, you know, the breakdown of estrogen and removal from our body is a really beautiful process between the, you know, the liver and the, and the, the gut. And what you don't want is that little final step of this enzyme not working appropriately, which can happen if you don't have the appropriate gut, what they call microbiome or bacteria is that you don't have the enzyme producing ability to remove the estrogen from your body. And it actually gets recirculated back into your body. And, you know, our poor little livers, hopefully we've optimized our livers to try to break it down as well. You know, such things as cutting down on alcohol or no alcohol, you know, the prescription medications, um, are two key things, um, that will help your liver actually deal with what it's got coming at it with other, other toxins, including the hormones. But when we actually have to get to excreting the, the hormones, um, making sure that you have your microbiome in tip top shape. Now, what is really harmed. And I think the biggest takeaway has really harmed the gut microbiome is our lack of fiber in our diet. And, you know, I think the average American is like, I, not the average, like 97% of Americans or something, some crazy statistic like that is actually deficient in fiber. Interesting. Huh? Because I didn't know why. yeah, you know why look at our, look, look at the processed food. It's all refined. It all has, you know, all those refined carbs have all of the, the good fiber taken out of them. And that's really what our gut microbiome needs. It needs it to make special, you know, other um, short, what they call short chain fatty acids, like butyrate that actually helps protect your gut helps you, you know, helps decrease the inflammation and prevent colon cancer and all those things, but helps with weight loss. But also, um, you know, we need these bacteria to thrive, to make this enzyme, to break down these hormones. And so, you know, and again, just think of our diets out of, out of maybe it's not even, I can think back of when I was having my adrenal issues, like out of 
the necessity of my fatigue and convenience, I was turning towards those quick foods. Right. And I was surviving. I wasn't thriving on them. And it was really interesting because I did a gut health test a couple of years ago and I had like zero butyrate, which is really a protective short chain fatty acid made by particular gut bacteria. Actually it's made by fermented fermentation of fiber by these gut bacteria. But like I have wiped out, I have no butyrate. And it was really interesting because that puts me at risk of a lot of issues with my gut. So, and it was as a result of my poor diet quite frankly. So what I really became aware of is where can I put fiber throughout my day? Because the last thing I want your listeners to do is say, okay, she said have fiber. I'm going to have, go and have 30 grams of fiber in one meal. You're really going to hate me because <laughs> yeah. you're going to get constipated and you're going to get bloated and all the things like start low and go slow is my motto for everything. When you do supplements, when you do dietary changes, when you do, you know, including fiber, like start introducing a little bit throughout the whole day. So your body can start getting used to it. You can start feeding these gut bacteria to start being able to help these colonies of gut bacteria, not only survive, but thrive and be able to, you know, make these beneficial short chain fatty acids, as well as these enzymes to break down your hormones. Yep. And I think it's great because fiber is so easy to add. It's a really nice tack on food. You can just Google foods high in fiber you know, and just tack them onto your meal, sprinkle them on top, have them on the side, make a little veggie, maybe put some flax or chia or spinach in your smoothie. Just easy, easy things like that can make a big difference in the long run. Yeah. Um, Good, good to know. Increasing fiber can kind of help then improve the gut microbiome to be able to clear excess estrogen from the body and then also help with that estrogen dominance and improve libido. Is that kind of the takeaway? That's there? the gist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's pivot into the mindset and, you know, maybe someone has all of those areas dialed in and they're still having low libido. What could be going on there? Yeah. You know, mindset is, is integral to any component of health. In my opinion, I mean, we talk about it with nutrition, like you said, with libido, it's no different, you know, low libido in women, especially, um, I worked with men for four years, uh, and they are a little bit different than women because t- generally for men, a lot of times I would say hundred percent of my patients had low testosterone. <laughs> I repleted that and they felt better. And then the question was, why did they have low testosterone? But for women, you know, I, I realized it wasn't necessarily a direct correlation with testosterone levels in women. We're not little men as mm-hmm. one of my colleagues, Dr. Stephanie Estima would say, you know, we are completely different. And, you know, we're much more complex hormonally, you know, biologically and brain wise, much different than men. And that goes with our thoughts, you know, like, even like I've studied, like, I mean, the size of our different areas of our brain are different. So how we even perceive, like, Mm -hmm. like we're much more, um, sensitive to someone's facial expressions and tone and such like, you know, Whereas men are like care less and they look at your face and they're like, ah, they don't read into it. We read into it. Right. So there's how we perceive our everyday world, but how we think about ourselves. So, you know, again, kind of going back to what I talked about when, with adrenal, uh, dysfunction and, and those thoughts that we have from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed, like I, you know, again, another statistic close to like 80% of the thoughts we have in the day are negative. Like Oh my gosh. And how many times, a lot of times we don't catch ourselves saying these things because we say them all the time over and over to ourselves to the point where our, our minds and our bodies start believing these kind of things, you know? So, you know, for instance, with nutrition, like I've never been able to stick on a diet more than three weeks or eat well for three weeks, or, 
you know, right around the holidays, you know, I can't eat well throughout the holidays. I never have been able to, well, start now. Like you, there's, you know, there's also that fixed mindset and that growth mindset. And the difference is like that fixed is like, and there's actually been research that shows that you you were never going to be able to improve your libido in a fixed mindset. Like when it comes to libido, if you say like, it's never going to get better. I'm never, you know, like those extreme, like you're, you're stuck in that really that victim mentality of, of thinking a certain way of a certain lifestyle of, you know, certain relationship and it's never going to get better versus that growth of like, okay, here's where I am now. How can we make this better? And so, you know, that comes to, again, if you, and I I'm all for women optimizing their health and, and if they have to, they want to lose weight, losing weight to a healthy weight, that's what they want, but try to really, you know, love your body in that process because our bodies have done amazing things over the past year and a half of keeping us healthy. Right. And, you know, just appreciating the, the journey that you're on wherever that next destination, because a lot of times women are looking for that next thing to make them happy. They get to that next thing. And I'm like, I'm still not happy. Right. Enjoy the journey. And, you know, and I know it's easier to say, but it's really a process of trying to love the body you're in on the journey to wherever you're going health wise. And, you know, really recognizing, bringing awareness around those thoughts that you have every day and how can we tweak those thoughts? So they're not so negative, you know, like, okay, you don't love how your body looks now, but how, you know, you're, you're doing things to improve your strength, your, your, you know, your immune system, your weight, all of it, you know? So like, where are you on that journey? Because I also hear a lot of women saying, you know, like, I don't like the way I look. And again, there's a whole mindset component, which, you know, we won't get into, but like, and I can say like, love the body you're in. It's a process, right? But when I hear it all the time from my clients, like I don't like myself and my body. So I wear baggy clothes and I don't want to get naked. Right. So like, again, it's just that starting with yourself and like trying not to have, have a little grace on yourself and not beat yourself up over your weight or your inability to carry through on, on certain goals that you've had in the past. Like there's no better way to start the now of that new goal and actually visualizing yourself succeeding this time and getting that support that you need. You know, a lot of women thrive on support and accountability and having a group of women around them doing the same thing they're doing until it becomes a lifestyle. And then you really have a better way of sticking to the lifestyle, including the mindset awareness that you have every day of telling yourself a different story because they're all stories, you know, any thought we have, we can find evidence for it around us, good or bad, right? Like, you know, and so start trying to find the evidence of the good in your day and in your life and in your health, um, and start crowding out that negative as much as possible. Yeah. I think we, in my um, online program, we do a monthly challenge. And so we're recording this in December. And so December's monthly challenge is to practice gratitude, but in a little different way. Mm-hmm. And I came up with, you know, every day or at least once a week, you know, tell yourself something that you're proud of. Mm-hmm. It's an innate quality. So nothing physical at all. Like, were you kind, were you generous, were you hospitable, um, were you thoughtful, were you considerate and like specify the moment in the last 24 hours. And so really appreciating our innate characteristics, like we do everyone else, you know, I think we appreciate others and we're grateful for others, but then we have to turn that gratitude and pride inward to kind of bolster that self-confidence. And then the other one was what's something about your body that you're grateful for. So not something that you like necessarily, because I think a lot of women who come to us might feel insecure in their own yeah. skin. 
-hmm. But I met a woman the other day who had macular degeneration. And so she couldn't see uh, her central vision. And I thought, how grateful am I to have my eyesight and watch my children play? And you can't lie to yourself. You can't, if you don't like your thighs or your, or your stomach, you can be like, Oh, I love my thighs and my stomach, but you can probably find something that you do appreciate about your body. And I think starting there, starting with that truth and being consistent and practicing gratitude and praising yourself can really help bolster that confidence to eventually, you know, Mm -hmm. hopefully spill over to an increased libido or just confidence overall, but did you have any other little tidbits or kind of helpful hints that you wanted to share for that? Well, I think, you know, and I agree, it's hard to like get that. I love my body the way it is now. Although there are some women out there that can do that, which is amazing. Right. But I also think not focusing, trying not to focus on like all every little imperfection that you consider you have in your body, you know, and like, like you said, focus on, I mean, I think every woman out there has to have something you love about your body. Like maybe not, you know, maybe in your eyes or your white teeth or your earlobes or something, you know, like just something, but trying not to focus on the negative and what you don't like, you know, like again, that those negative vibes, like the focus on the negative, you bring more negative to you. Like you want to, you want to focus on the positive and like what, and what do you want? Right. Like it does not focus on what you don't want. What do you want? And if you want thighs that aren't, touching or whatever, whatever body goals you have, that's what you want. Just don't say what you don't want, you know? So you, and, and wake up every day with that determination of like, you know what, I'm going to do it this time, prove yourself wrong. You know, like we can all do it. And that was me. That was me, you know, nine years ago for two years, I was, I call it that, that victim mode. Right. But I was stuck in this, like, very sad place mentally. Um, and, and I can say I did a ton of mindset work and that's really what helped me wake up one day in May of 2014. And, um, I literally woke up one day and I'm like, no, one's going to do this, but me, like, no, one's going to lose the weight, get my confidence back, my self-esteem, my strength back, you know, my health back, but me, no doctor's going to give me the pill. Cause they've not worked in the past no one's, you know, no one, I'm going to have to put the work in and do it. And I'm telling you little by little, that was the one morning I woke up and went to my basement. I started doing a little workout when I actually had told myself a story for two years that I couldn't do workouts because of my back. It was a story I told myself. And when I flipped that switch and said, I'm going to do what I can, mm-hmm. it, it may not be what the girl on the video is doing, but I'm going to do what I can. I'll, I modified my heck through workouts, but you know what? I got stronger little by little, I lost the weight to the point where in three, at the three month mark, my husband's like, what are you doing in the morning before everybody gets up? And I was actually doing it very quietly. Like I'm like, and it wasn't out of like, Oh, watch me come out of this. So this was like, this is for me. This is not for anyone else. But I was like, I'm going to the basement. I'm working out. And he's like, can you show me what you're doing? Cause I'd like to do that too. <laughs> and then I was making my smoothies. He's like, can you show me how to make that? And like, Honestly, when I say that, especially women in in a household, we change the entire household. It is so true. Like my husband followed suit. He is now like the healthiest he's ever been in his life at the age of 52. He just turned 52. My kids are so much healthier. And it's like, not one of these things, like my kid, my mom, my daughter was making fun of me that one of the, her, their friends were calling me the healthy mom, but I don't think it's a bad thing. And I think it's just the way my kids have grown up and we're, I don't deprive them. It's just moderation. And like, there are better choices 
more times than not to make. And that's how they've grown up. So like, it's just how we think. And, you know, I think and it, it's not been my whole life. That's my point. Like, this is not how I've lived my whole life. Yep. You can't, I was no matter you can change you are, no matter what you're going through. And yeah, I had yeah. so many obstacles and so many things that tell myself I couldn't do this, including an injury. I couldn't get started. I, I did bodybuilding competition and I did very well. That's you know, awesome. that's, that's, that's what I'm saying with that point of like, I don't have to stay stuck here and watch me. I'll show you, I can do it. And I did it. You know, like it was for me, it wasn't for the trophies I have right here to my right. It was for me. And, you know, now I'm, I've done that. I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm proud of myself that I actually did that. And, you know, now I'm just showing others what's possible when you actually put your mind to it and like just shape, change that story in your head that you can't do it. You can, and you will, you just got to show up every day. Little consistent steps every day will get you to that big goal at the end. Yes. Well, Dr. Renee, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I think that it was probably hopefully really educational for our audience. If they've been experiencing low libido or they think they might have adrenal dysfunction and they want to connect with you further, how can they reach you? Uh, my website, drreneewallenstein.com is a great place to go. Um, and actually I'm all over social media. <laughs> Pretty much everything. They, yeah. Do, I, uh, I'm Dr. Annie Wellenstein across all platforms, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, I also have a podcast, which you were on yeah, yep, that yep. we just rebranded to the real heel it used to be called love the leap with Dr. Renee. And, um, you know, it's just, I I'm, I'm passionate about getting information out there for women and on this topic of low libido, because it is so mysterious and so complex And if one woman has like an aha moment from listening to anything on any of my platforms, my, my purpose is served. Yes. Well, thank you so much. We'll be sure to link up to all of Dr. Renee's resources in the show notes for this episode. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast or YouTube channel, please take a moment and do that today. It helps this interview get seen by more people. Thank you so much. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Reshape Your Health podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and don't forget to tell a friend. To learn more and connect online, check out the links in the show notes.